morning. Glad you're here to worship with us. We are beginning a new message series today called The Great Objective, and we're looking at what's, what it's worth to live for, what is worth living for. Um, read a story, and I may have heard this before, but could have forgotten it. That happens with me. I forget a lot of stuff. There's only so much room on my hard drive. But I read about Alfred Nobel. Uh, his, his brother died in 1888, and a French newspaper made a mistake. They thought he was the one that died. So can you imagine opening up the newspaper and reading your own obituary? He had, and we don't get the opportunity to do that, but Alfred Nobel did. In 1888, he opened up the paper. He read, this is what it said. The merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. He's the guy that invented dynamite, Alfred Nobel. He read his obituary, and he decided to shift the focus of his life at that point. He decided that however many years he had left, he was going to use them to encourage peacemaking. And so that's what he did. He lived eight more years. And then when he died in 1896, he left about $250 million in our currency, uh, the equivalent of that much, to endow what has become known as the Nobel Prizes. And so that's, that continues today. But he decided, he was jarred. I mean, can you imagine reading your own obituary? He was jarred by his own obituary and the legacy. He wasn't happy with that. I mean, that, that wasn't, he decided to shift his focus. And today, we're talking about what is it that's worth living for? I mean, what, what do we want to, to leave behind? And then what do we want to live for as we live our lives? Uh, Blaise Pascal said, all men seek happiness. This is, this is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. All, all men, they aim for happiness. Happiness is a normal and legitimate desire. I mean, maybe you've come and you're starting to investigate Christianity and you, you have it in your mind that if I'm going to investigate Christianity and sort of relate to God, I've got to just leave all the fun behind. I can't, have, I can't enjoy anything. Well, that's, that's not true. God wants us to be happy. He wants to help us to find the true path to happiness. He, he wants to guide us along that path. So happiness, in fact, if you don't want to be happy, there's something really terribly wrong inside of you. So that's, that's normal. That's, that's what we want. But what we decide will bring happiness is crucial. Usually, whatever we decide is going to bring us happiness, that becomes our objective in life. That, that's what we live for. That's what we begin to focus on and live for. That's our objective. When you decide what's going to make you happy, that becomes your objective. It takes you down a certain path. And it's crucial that you choose the right objective, that you choose the right thing. Now, people try all kinds of things, money and possession. If I had a little more money, I'd be happy. I'm going to try to get enough money so I'm happy. A certain per- they set their heart on a certain person. If I could just get together 
with this person, I'd be happy. So they make that their objective. You know, I just, I got to find this certain person to connect with romantically and the life's going to come together or a, a certain level of education. I'm going to go for that, a certain position. One of the major categories for finding happiness is, is to seek glory. We, we want glory. If I just could arrive at a place where I am the center of attention and I, I, I come into my own and find the glory, then it's all going to come together. We, so we go for the glory. When I was in grade school, this happened on a regular basis, I would, uh, I would go out in the backyard, you know, no friends around. And uh, If you had asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was in grade school, it would be whatever sport was in season, I would want to be a pro whatever. Pro football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is. That's, but anyway, uh, little boys tend to do this kind of thing. I'd go in the backyard and say it's baseball season. I'd be throwing the baseball up and, and hitting it, but I wouldn't just be throwing it up. I would be sort of going through a narrative in my mind. I'd whisper, I'd be whispering it to myself. Uh, it's always, it was, it was usually the voice of Vin Scully. You know, now batting for your Los Angeles Dodgers. I can't do Vin. But, you know, I'm saying this, I'm now batting. Randy Lathrop. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's the seventh game of the World Series. I, I can't whisper because you won't be able to hear me. It's the bottom of the ninth, seventh game of the World Series. There's two outs. It's the greatest hitter of all time facing the greatest pitcher of all time. So I'm, this is what I'm saying to myself. You know, I'm talking. And, and the pitcher pitches the ball. He makes the pitch. It's coming in. <clears throat> it's gone. Ah! This is what, this is what I, I mean, this is what boys do, okay? I never missed. I guarantee you, two outs, two strikes, I never missed the ball. I always hit it out of the park. It was amazing. I, I, you know, I was amazing. <laughs> but, but we seek glory. That's what we want. We want it. That's, that's something that we go after. And, Actually, I, you know, people will do all kinds of things to get glory. I was, I was actually what they call a glory hog. Um, in basketball one time, we were playing like the best team in the league, and we, we were beating them. We were beating them fairly comfortably, so I started hamming it up, which goes with the hog part of glory hog. And I just started putting it in their face, doing showboating and doing all kinds of things, and, and I cringe when I think about that. Because being a glory hog really repels people. And it, it, puts, it, just, it, it just doesn't go well when you decide to be a, a glory hog. But anyway, we want to be recognized. We want glory. There, there's a legitimate expression of that in, in that we, you know, it's good to have a good reputation. It's, it's okay to, be, uh, to have a desire to, to be well thought of. That's okay, but then, you know, there's the not-so-good expression like the example I just shared about being a glory hog. I can tell you that glory hogging leaves you empty. It, it really, it leaves you empty, and it, it just makes life stale, and it, it pushes people away from you. So today, we're going to look at what our objective should be. What, what is it that we should live for? We're, we're going to look at 
the great objective as told by the one who made us in Scripture. We're going to look at what he says in the Bible. There's a, a paper called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It was written in the 1640s to help laypersons get a handle on basic teachings of the Bible. And it's written in a question and answer format so that you can memorize it. You know, it's like they ask a question, you're supposed to memorize the answer. And it's, it's very well done. And it, it gets to the heart of what Scripture says about a lot of things. The first question in this catechism is, what is the chief end of man? I don't know if anybody knows the catechism, but I'm sure some of you do. Don't say it, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> but, but that's the first question. What is the chief end of man? What should we be aiming for? What will make life really hum? What, we do a lot of things, random and disconnected things, but this question is there, and it nags in the back of our mind for both of us, or for most of us, for both of us. Oh, there's more than two people in here. Uh, for most of us. Um, sometimes something happens that brings that question to the forefront of our mind, like Nobel. You, know, you read your own obituary, that would, that would bring it to the forefront. But I suspect that whether or not you've read your own obituary, you, you have this question, what is worth living for? What, what is it? What's the objective? What, what should be the focus of my life that's going to give direction and purpose and meaning to everything I do? Well, there is something. The answer in, in the catechism is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those two things go together. Glorifying God and enjoying him forever. This is the thing that I can do with my life that resonates deep in my soul. This is what I can live for that makes a, a difference in me and through me, and it brings a deep happiness that really cannot be taken away as I live for the glory of God. So the great objective is to bring glory to God in what we do and in the way we do it. Living my life in a way that brings glory to God brings a maximum sense of direction and meaning to everything that's going on. Now, in a moment, I want to read you the last verse in Revelation 4, book in the Bible. But I read, I read that whole chapter this week. It's only 11 verses. And uh, I put myself in the scene that's being painted. The book of Revelation was written by John, who had a vision of future things, where we're headed, where, where we're going. And he's describing what's happening to him in this vision. And in Revelation 4, it starts with, uh, a voice was saying, come in here, step into this room. He steps into the room, and it's an amazing scene that he's looking at. In the middle of the room, there's a throne, and on the throne is a person who is the color of jasper and carnelian. Those are blood-red stones, shining blood-red stones. Uh, over him is a rainbow that's like an emerald kind of color. In front of the throne is a sea of glass. Around the throne, I'm imagining myself stepping into this room. Around the throne are 24 elders. They have crowns. And it says uh, around the throne as well, there are four beasts with different kinds of faces. A lion, a calf, a man, and an ox. Different kinds of faces. And these, these 
these uh, preachers are, are, are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So I'm, I'm in this scene. I'm watching these, these things take place. It says, when the 24 elders give glory and honor and thanks to the one who's on the throne, they, they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, and this is the verse we're going to look at, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. I put myself in that scene, and there's something inside me that said, this is your destiny. This is where you're headed. That's going to be incredible to see scenes like that. You know, as, as we head toward the future, that's, that's what God's going to do someday. But we learn a lot about why we were made in that passage, in that verse right there. God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he made us. Something made should glorify its maker by doing what it was made to do. Like a custom home. You, know, you step into a custom home, very like sort of a mansion kind of place. Very well made. Custom. The woodwork is is amazing, the flooring, the tile, uh, just all of the best materials, the, the way things fit together and flow in the house. They, they cause you to think, wow, the person who made this really knew what they were doing. That's, they, they really did a good job. When you see something that's made well, it, it's only right that the builder gets the glory. And that's, that's how it is with us. We, we've been made... By God, and it's only right that our lives bring glory to Him, the one who made us. And we bring glory to Him by doing what He's asked us to do in the way He wants us to do it. If we dig into the meaning of the words glory and honor in Revelation 4, we can figure out how to glorify God. I glorify God, first of all, by aiming to enhance His reputation. That word for glory in this passage is D-O-X-A-N, transliterated into English from the Greek it was written in. And it has this idea of view or opinion. Um, other basic meanings are reputation, value, honor. Those are other, you know, other kinds of meanings. But glory in this sense means to hold God in high regard. If we follow Christ and we bear his name, and, and even if we don't, it's right that we give him the glory that's due him because he made us. He made us in his image. We're, we're designed to reflect him. And so to give him glory is to live in a way that enhances his re reputation. In other words, I don't want to cheapen him by thinking or speaking about him or living in a way that does not enhance his reputation. Kabod, K-A-B-O-D, is the Hebrew word that's translated glory most of the time uh, in the Old Testament. And it's used to refer to the weight of esteem and honor that a person has, especially the king. So it's like the, the weight of honor. How heavy it is. You know, you don't treat someone lightly. You don't, you don't treat God lightly. If you're going to glorify him, you take him seriously. 
So we live with the aim to strengthen God's reputation with the people around us. That's what it means to glorify God. Also, I glorify God by giving him the significance he deserves. And then it says, uh, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor. The word honor is used many times interchangeably with glory in the Bible. And it is the word time, T-I-M, like time, but with an accent on the E, time is how you say it. That's transliterated into English from the Greek. And it means a value or money paid for something. And the, the idea is, what is this worth to you? The thing that you're honoring, you're showing how much it's worth to you. And so the word refers to the significance that we give to something or someone in what we say or what we do. That's the idea of what it means to glorify God in this way. Um, It has also this ranking aspect to it. So it's like this is someone who you honor because they outrank you. And in God's place, to honor or glorify him, you, you put him in the highest place. That's where he deserves. He, he deserves to be the number one priority in everything we do. So here's a summary. To glorify God is to live in a way that protects and enhances his reputation and gives him the weight of significance in my life that he deserves because of who he is. So I live for his in a way that enhances his reputation, give him the weight of significance and the way I live my life, and, and the way I relate to people, and the choices and decisions I'm making, the way I handle my finances. Across the board of my life, I bring glory to him by giving him the rightful place that he deserves. He carries the deciding vote in everything I do. That, that's what it means to glorify God. Jesus told, told a couple of short stories, a couple of parables on the value of the kingdom. Uh, A parable is a story that has one point, one main point. And there's some other things you can get out of it, but they they focus on one main thing. And so here's a couple very short parables that Jesus told in uh, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is saying that God and his kingdom are so valuable that when you find it, it's worth everything you have. It's worth giving up all that you are and all that you have to obtain it. In fact, to give God less than everything you have takes away from his glory. It detracts from his glory in our lives. I hit a key decision point when I was a freshman in college. I was at Baylor University. This is sort of connected to my talking to myself in the backyard playing baseball. I was going to Baylor, and I wanted to be... Uh, I had actually 
sensed another direction for God, from God for my life, but I sort of bullheadedly went to Baylor to play baseball. And um, while I was there, I was miserable. Waco, Texas and L.A., California, very different places, by the way. I just thought I'd mention that. Um, very different. And so I was miserable. I missed my mom. But anyway, in the midst of all that, I was playing great baseball. I was doing really well on the baseball field. And the team went to the World Series the next three years, College World Series. But anyway, in the middle of all this, God began to work my heart. I was miserable, and I was driving through the back roads of Waco area. And I was listening to an interview by uh, of, uh, an interview of Bill Russell. He is one of the greats who played for the Boston Celtics, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Amazing defensive guy. But anyway, he was being interviewed. And the interviewer asked him, uh, Bill, why did you decide to retire? And Bill Russell says, well, I realized it was time to, to retire when I began to realize that I am a grown man running around half naked trying to throw a leather ball through a round hoop. And when he said that, God spoke to me and said, you know, Randy, you're not trying to do much better. You're trying to hit a little ball over a fence. And you need to really live for what matters. And so I shifted gears, left Baylor, walked away from that, and decided to do what God had asked me to do. Now, some people, God calls and directs to play professional sports or to go on with their athletic career. But for me, I knew what God wanted me to do. And it was at that point that I, I had to decide to leave that dream, to let it go, and follow God. Jesus said in Luke 14:33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. This is a summary statement of what he was getting at in the parables. Jesus makes it crystal clear that we must give up everything we have to qualify as his disciple. If we refuse to give up all, then we are disqualified from the get-go. Now, most of the time, God allows us to keep our stuff. But he wants us to make it available to him. Our, our entire selves, everything we are, everything we have. It has to be at his disposal. If you're going to get on the path to the kind of joy and happiness God wants to bring. Evidence of this kind of commitment is seen in the early believers, the first people who decided to follow Christ. In the, in the early church, in Acts 2, 44 through 47, you can see they made everything available. If somebody had a need or the church needed something, they sold property, they sold their stuff, they gave their stuff away, they made it available. In, in Hebrews 10, it's just making comments about the sacrifice of the early believers. It said, they willingly accepted the confiscation of their property because of their faith in Christ. They willingly, they were glad to have their property taken away because of their faith in Christ. Moses set another example early on. He refused to experience and accept and continue to enjoy the pleasures of being in Pharaoh's household, but he left all that to follow God. 
That's when you understand the value of the kingdom. When you understand how worthwhile it is to live for him, you, you leave it all behind. You're, you're willing to risk it, to, to get after what it is he made you to do. This kind of commitment is due our maker. This is the kind of commitment that's due him and no one else. This is, this is what he wants. This is what he asked for. If we give him less than everything, then we take away from the glory, the significance he deserves in our lives. And all of us have done this. It's what scripture says. We've taken our lives into our own hands. And Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. At least one of the things that passage means is that we've decided to live for ourselves when we should be living for the one who made us. He, he created us to glorify him. And so now, since we've all decided to live for ourselves, if we're going to connect with God, we have to decide to admit our sin, to realize that we've offended God and fallen short of the glory that's due him. We admit our sin and we decide to live for him. We, we ask him, uh, we, we ask him to forgive us. We admit that we've been in rebellion and that that separates us from God. And we accept what Jesus has done on the cross to pay the price for our rebellion and we give up everything to follow Christ. That shows the real value of the kingdom. That shows the real value of the king, the one, the one who made us. So this glorifies God, that kind of commitment. After deciding to follow him, God's glory becomes the guiding principle for those who follow Christ. If you wonder what to do in any situation... If you're a follower of Christ, you want to bring glory to God. This, this statement was made in the midst of some tension. Some people had some di different disagreements about what was right to eat or, or drink. And this statement was made, 1 Corinthians 10. So, whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. His reputation should be our number one concern. God's reputation. We should aim to leave a good impression of him, whatever we're doing. We are people made in his image. If you follow Christ, you're an ambassador of Christ. And at times, we give up what we want to do what he wants. We give up our preferences to leave a good impression of him. That, that's what it means to glorify God. Now, here are some other practical ways to glorify God right now. Thank him. When, when we thank God constantly, we let him know that we know that life and breath and everything else we have is from him. So thank him. Before you, the meal, pause, or after the meal, whenever, thank God for that meal. Thank God for the things that you enjoy. As you make progress in different areas of your life, God's the one that allowed you to do that. He, he breathed life into you. Thank him for allowing you to do those things. 
this reflects, you're, if you thank God, you're giving him the right place, the rightful place of significance in that endeavor or in, in the things you're enjoying, whatever it is. Second way to practically glorify God is to live with integrity. There's a man named Achan. The people of Israel had just come out of slavery in Egypt. They were in the, the land that God had promised them, and they were fighting battles. And in the battles, there were specific instructions that God had given to them. And one of those instructions was, don't, don't take the devoted things. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to go into what the devoted things are, but they were valuable things. And Achan was a guy who was sneaky. He took one of the devoted things, he buried it in his tent. And then there began to be problems. God brought trouble on the people, people of Israel because this man Achan had decided to disobey. It's interesting when they, they went through a process, they figured out Achan had done this. And it's interesting what Joshua, the leader of Israel, says to him when he talks to him about it. He says, give glory to God right now and admit the wrong you've done. That's, that's how he puts it. Give glory to God and admit it. When we're sneaking around and we're, we're acting like God doesn't see what's going on, we're detracting from his glory. If we live for him, if we live with integrity, we announce that God is watching and we can trust him to watch out for us. Uh, another practical way to glorify God is to give praise and offerings. You see that in scripture all over the place. We give God glory by worshiping him and then giving back a portion, percentage of our income from him. The Bible says that this good, you know, a good starting place is 10%. This is one way that we honor him. We show his value in our lives. Deuteronomy 14:23 says, uh, the, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life, to put him in his rightful place, to give him the rightful place of significance. And then finally, um, we can uh, glorify God by fulfilling our assignments, by doing the work he's given us to do. In John 17, Jesus says, I brought you glory by doing the work that you've given me to do on this earth. That's how we glorify God. We find out what he wants. We look at how he wants us to handle our lives, what he wants, the way he wants us to do it in terms of our family life, work, school, ministry, finances, friendship. We're, this, is, this is the question that we're asking. God, how can I glorify you right now, right here? That's the major objective of life. The great objective for my life is to bring glory to God in what I do and the way I do it. I do this, we're going to look over the next several weeks at how to build our life, to honor him. On the program, there's a, an illustration, and the people in the illustration, they're, they're illustrative of three different parables. So next week, we're going to look at how to build our life in a way that honors God. We're going to look at the parable of the talents and some other things. I grow my relationships in love. Uh, that's the Good Samaritan. And I make it my ambition to be a disciple and make disciples. That's the parable of the sower. So that's where we're headed, looking at how this great objective of glorifying God shows up in our everyday lives. We're going to break that down over the next few weeks. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few minutes. And uh, I'd like to take a moment, some time, a few moments, to consider what are some next steps that I could take.
as a result of, of hearing the truth this morning, as of getting into the Word and seeing what it says. First step you could take is to memorize Revelation 4.11. Be, be a great passage to memorize just to remind you of why you exist, really. Secondly, I'm going to renew my commitment to live for the great objective. Maybe you have decided to follow Christ and you veered off. And you've been, you know, and we all do that. We, we, get, we get sidetracked from this great objective. You want to renew your commitment this morning to live for that. And then finally, another step you could take is apply the guiding principles of, uh, the principle of God's glory to a specific circumstance I'm facing. So you're, you're in maybe a disagreement, maybe you've got a challenge. You're trying to figure out, what do I do here? What is it that I do? God, show me how to glorify you right here in this, right now. How can I do that? And if you need, if you need to know what, Scripture fills in the blanks on what it is we can do and how we can do it to glorify God. We're going to look at that over the next few weeks. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness. You are worthy. Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power because you made us. It's by your will that you gave us life and breath and everything else that we have. So, Father, help us to live for your glory. Help us to know more and more what that means. Give us the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take as we've gotten into your word this morning, God. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.